Okay, we are back. Welcome to the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner, and my partner here is Brandon Turner. We've got a, another good show for everybody today. We're going to continue with our LCS Owner Series. Today is part three of that four-part series, as we're going to have Nate, or Nathan Burns, from Grand Slam Collectibles is going to be joining us. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, before we get started, though, we always like to remind everybody at the top of the show that we don't take sponsorships or get paid by anybody we talk about. Uh, this is very much intentional so that you can rest assured the information we provide is unbiased and is not financially motivated. All right, let's jump right in because we got a ton to cover today and don't want it to be a two-hour show. So should we just jump in, go, go over everything we're going to cover, and yep. then we'll get into it? We're going to talk about... You know, the athletes that wore the jersey number of the show number, uh, as usual, today is 48. We've got a little bit of stuff before that. Um, but as we've been doing uh, during this series, we're going to put everything into the halftime report to consolidate it. Not like that really changes the time it takes. <laughs> Just put everything yeah. in one segment. But I guess um, the attempt is so that we leave as much time as possible uh, for our interview. It's, with it's a little bit. We save like the intros and the outros yeah, and the uh, transitions depends the, on how much we have yeah i guess um, that's true but then after that interview um we will come back and wrap up the show so nfl season kicks off tonight we got a big one with the bills and the rams mm-hmm. we haven't done a lot of football yet and we actually we were just talking before we started recording that we want we want to do something that kind of to kick off the season but i think instead of trying to jam it all into this show we're going to do a special edition we're going to do like the 615 Collector Fantasy Football Special Edition show. And so we're going to, I think, record that tomorrow. This is, we're recording this Thursday night. We're going to drop this show Friday morning. And then we're going to drop that one, a special edition. It'll be a short one, probably half hour, give or take. And we'll drop that one Saturday morning. I know that season kicking off tonight with the Rams and Bills, but Sunday is where you get the full slate of games. So we're going to drop that Saturday morning before the full slate of games starts on Sunday. And we'll kind of give our... Also, whose idea was it to have, like, almost every game kick off at, like, noon? Well, that's always There's, the way like, literally, like, ten games on at the same time. Yeah. That's, well, I guess normally like they ridiculous. split it. Yeah, because normally there's the most there's of them There's, like, two time the, slots, and then there's, like, one in prime time. Yeah. And every there's, like, 20 games in these two time slots, and then, like, one game at, like, on ABC at, like, eight or something. Yeah. Well, that's usually the way that is because there's only, like, you do a noon. We're on Tennessee time, central time, so it's a noon game and then a 3 o'clock game. It's like 10, there's like 10 games at once. Yeah, and then you do them at the same, yeah. Because, I mean, they kind of have to, though, right, for the players. Otherwise, you'd have, and because you got West Coast, you know, so, like, the games on the the West Coast are at 10 in the morning and 1 in the afternoon. On the East Coast, it's 1 and 4, and then you got the night, the Sunday night game. There's, like, no staggering at all. Yeah, I know. Like you, that's the way they do that's it. That's what I'm saying. Though. Yeah. Like you can only watch like one game unless you just want to like look at a multi-screen, which is just stupid. That's true. You know, opinion. I've never, I've never thought about it that way, but that's true. Yeah, yeah, they kind of all go on at the same time. Um, so we'll, we we want to do that special edition. We'll give like who we think kind of our picks are, both from a fantasy league standpoint, because we we do fantasy football leagues. So we'll kind of talk about who we think some of the good picks are, but then also from a card value perspective on who we think maybe some of the picks could be sleepers, who we think might who we think might be busts, you know, some things like that. We even t- kicked around the idea we might do this where might create like a card sports card portfolio, some players like and you know kind of theoretically buy these cards. We'll use Card Ladder and then track that portfolio 
over throughout the course of the season, see how well we do with that. That might be kind of fun. We can do something similar for basketball when the basketball season comes around. You'll be the expert on that one. You're not, Brandon's not the expert on football. That's okay. No, not really. No, but you will be in basketball. But so, yeah, so we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm actually looking forward to that because there's, I think there's some interesting sleepers and we've got some, we've got some hot takes on the busts who we think could be a bust. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be fun. So our listeners can stay tuned for that. Going to get that special edition this weekend. We'll, like I said, drop that on Saturday. And then we can talk about college football. Well, actually, let's not talk about college football. We shouldn't because my, my team, the Oregon Ducks, got absolutely shellacked by Georgia. They that got was, beat so bad they went unranked. Yeah. You know, Oregon's offense actually... Interesting question why they were ranked 11th to begin with, I'm going to be honest. Well, I disagree. So here's the thing. Now, look, there's no... You can't... That game Georgia's was just really, bad. Georgia's but Georgia, really good. Georgia's but. really good. Georgia played really well. But here's the other thing. Oregon's offense actually moved the ball pretty well. Um, they... I think there was only a total of four punts, but I think in the first half, I think there was only one punt in the first half, but we only had three points to show for it because we turned the ball over a couple of times. But we were moving the ball up and down the field. We turned it over, and then we also went, I think, 0 for 3 on fourth down. And then on the flip side, here was the game. Georgia went 9 for 10 on third down conversions. Oregon's defense just could not get off the field. And, look, hats off to Georgia. But I do think the score was not – I think the game – I think the score was worse than what actually transpired in the game. Not, I mean, by the second half, you could kind of tell Oregon kind of gave up, right? It's it, it became a blowout, and it just wasn't at that point. Um, but statistically, if you look at the game, it really didn't have as big of a difference as you might think. So as an example, Oregon actually had more net rushing yards than Georgia did. Now, Georgia had a lot of passing, had more passing yeah, yards. they passed the ball more. I don't think yeah. that means much. Well, but... Look, I mean, that, running the ball against Georgia's defense pretty tough, but yeah. Oregon Oregon ran the ball pretty well. Like I said, their offense kind of moved the ball up and down the field, and Georgia Oregon only had four fewer first downs. Think about that. Only four, you, they lost like what forty nine to three, but only had four fewer first downs than Georgia. Just, you know, it just tells me it. It was turnovers. Just tells me it took Georgia less first downs to score. Well, maybe. Which, but well, but no. What it was like, was what it was was they. Well, maybe. But they were. Remember, they were nine for ten on third down conversions. Like you got to yeah. get off the field in third down. You know that was that was a big part of the problem. Uh, Georgia, like how, who's number one? Didn't Georgia got they've got put to number two? They were three when it started. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm assuming Alabama is one. I guess, but man, it seems like after that, Georgia was, whew. Anyway, all right, and then Florida State LSU game was crazy. Did you see that one? No. Oh, my goodness. That was unbelievable. And uh, North Carolina App State, they did their best to play basketball. Final score on that one was 63-61. to 61. That was both teams. college score. Yeah, well, and get this, 60, so there are you know, 124 combined points in the game, but 62 of those were in the fourth quarter. <laughs> In one quarter, nice. sixty-two points combined for both teams in the fourth quarter. That Not was a lot a crazy of defense one. being played in that game. No, and then we did get some some news, college football, some pretty big news. That's freaking finally, dude! Oh my goodness! Yeah. Um, so the the playoff board announced they're going to expand the playoff to twelve teams, and I guess the plan is to implement it as soon as possible, whatever that means. Well, they said um, they would implement before twenty twenty six. Okay. So, but the the thought is is that. 
2024 or 2025 is when we would likely Man, see it. I, I, why has it been four? But you just so go long? from four to twelve. Like why there's no it, in between stop at eight or well, anything. Why would it be right four for so long in the first place? Like I get maybe four like when you're trying it out, but it's been four for a very long time. Yeah, like very unnecessarily four. Like it's I really agree. silly. I you agree. get a lot of teams that just like could win the whole thing that aren't even selected. Exactly. And so they don't get it. So it just doesn't make any sense that it took so long. So, like, freaking finally, dude. Yeah. And you get to see more college, like, good college football. So, yeah, agreed. That's good. Yeah, absolutely agreed. All right. Should we jump in jersey numbers? Yep. What is this? Right, 48 today. 48. Only one of these is in the Hall of Fame. But there's a lot of some hotly debated names as to whether they should be in the Hall of Fame, even though they're not. So we can start with a couple of current players. Jacob DeGrom, who is – he's back from his injury, and he has been lights out for the Mets. And then a young – I think he's a rookie this year is Reed Detmers with the Los Angeles Angels. Both pitchers. But let's go to some of the more historic players. So Travis Hafner. Does that – you know Travis Hafner? I don't. So he had some great years early in his career with Cleveland, hit over 300. 30 to 40 home runs, over 100 RBIs for several seasons, but then had some injury problems, so he was never able to really regain his early form. But, man, he was absolutely dominant. He was a beast for several years. His rookie cards, by the way, are in the 2001 sets. And then you had Torrey Hunter is another one. He had a very long and successful career, mostly with Minnesota. Did play for the Angels later on, I think even a brief stint with Detroit. His rookie cards are in the 1994 sets. He's one that I think some people think could be in the Hall of Fame. Ramon Martinez, pitcher for the Dodgers, most of his career anyway, had a career 367 ERA, over 1,400 strikeouts, 135 wins. He was dominant. His uh, rookie cards are in the 1989 sets. Uh, Sam McDowell, another, there's a lot of pitchers on this list. Sam McDowell's another one. He was a pitcher with Cleveland for most of his career. 141 wins, 3.17 career ERA, with over 2,450 strikeouts. His rookie cards in the 1962 top set. It's actually multiple uh, players on that because it's rookie pitchers. His first standalone card, I think, is in the 63 tops. And then going way back, you got Andy Pafko. He played in the 40s and 50s, mostly for the Cubs in Milwaukee. Had a career 285 average with over 200 home runs. Hit over 300 with over or near 100 RBIs in many seasons during his prime. But one of the things he's known, he's the number one card in the 1952 top set one of the important cards in that important iconic set and it's a and it's a valuable one it's a big one he also has a 47 exhibits and a 51 bowman as well as a 52 bowman i think that 51 bowman's probably considered his official rookie i'm not sure exactly on that but then you had uh, rick i think it's russell i forget That's, how you, that looks right i forget how you pronounce his last name but i do remember him he's a pitcher mostly for the Cubs did have a few other teams he played for later in his career he's got over 200 wins over 2,000 strikeouts a career 3.37 ERA his rookie cards in the 73 top set that's a great set also Peachy has that year as well he's in that one and then this is one of your favorites yeah I don't really know why (laughs) Pablo Sandoval Kung Fu Panda yeah that's probably why why he was he was one you really liked. I just like latched on to random players as a kid. I don't know. I don't really know. Panda. I think I just he played third base and he was named Panda. I think that's probably about it. Maybe that was it. He played mostly. (laughs) I just I just like would latch on. I don't know. Yeah. Well, he's a good one. He played mostly for the Giants, San Francisco. 
did great early in his career, but had some injuries, never regained that early form. And baseball's got to be like the only sport where you can like body percentage like doesn't matter <laughs> if you can hit the thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, in Game 1 of the 2012 World Series, those that are a fan might remember this, he joined Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, and Albert Pujols as the only players to hit three home runs in a World Series game, and he also won the World Series MVP that year. Pretty impressive. That's a nice That's a nice list of players to be among. His official rookie cards in the 2008 uh, Topps Heritage set. His first card, though, is in actually the 2006 Bowman Chrome Prospects set. It was an insert. That's why it's not technically considered as rookie. The rookie has to be a, a base card or in the part of the base set. Then you had uh, Les Richter. He's the only one on this list that's in the Hall of Fame. That sounds like a villain name. He's played football. Well, he probably was in football. Sounds he probably like could be super, known for that. Sounds a like, a, like a James Bond villain or yeah. something. Well, he played for the Rams, Los Angeles. Second player drafted in 1952. Actually drafted by the New York Yanks. No <clears> one probably remembers that team because they folded. And so his rights were given to the expansion Dallas Texans. And then the Rams traded 11 players to the Texans to get him. He's a linebacker. He went to eight straight Pro Bowls. Also was the place kicker for the Rams early in his career, in addition to beat. You don't see that every day. Linebacker, (laughs) place kicking mm -hmm. as well. And get this, in a game in 1961, this shows you kind of the, the way that some of these older players were 1961 against of course the Pittsburgh Steelers it would have to be against them he broke his cheekbone played through it not knowing it was broken then just had them add a protective guard to his helmet for future games so he could complete the season even though he did break it again five weeks later can just finished out the season kept playing nice yeah tough guy his rookie cards in the 1952 Bowman set. That's a classic set for football. We also have a NASCAR. We NASCAR race driver. This is a big one. Car number 48, driven by Jimmy Johnson. And believe it or not, he has cards. And his rookie cards are in the 2000 sets. There's an Upper Deck one. There's an SP Authentic. I think there's a couple others. So if you like NASCAR and you like Jimmy Johnson, you can get some of his cards. And then uh, what else? Well, I guess we got a couple of hockey players. So we got Scott Young. He's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, played for several teams over 16 seasons. His rookie card's in the 89-90 sets. And then you have Daniel, I think it's Briere. Not familiar with, with him, but he was a first-round draft pick in 1996, played for many teams. Had 116 points. This is kind of what he's known for. Had 116 points in 124 career playoff games. He did really well in the playoffs. He's like 75th all-time, but if you in terms of playoffs points... But if you look at it on a per-game basis, he'd actually rank much higher than that. And his rookie card, by the way, is in the 1994-95 Parkhurst set. He also has a card in the 96-97 Upper Deck Ice set. So there you go. There's a few others. You know, you could maybe make a case for Joachim Soria or Rizzo. But we already talked about Rizzo because um, he only wears 48 now with the Yankees. He didn't wear it with the Cubs, Anthony Rizzo. Or uh, Daryl Johnston, maybe another one. Moose play for the Cowboys. In hockey, you could have someone like Thomas Hurdle for the uh, San Jose Sharks. Anyway, no NBA or WNBA players. I don't even think there's an NBA player right now that even wears number 48. Probably not. And so you don't have there's there's not enough players on a roster to like where someone would like choose 48 or like these high numbers really. Be a good name to build your brand around though. No one else is known for it. Like the only players that have like 
double digits like that going that high over like 40 or like Luca and like yeah like some of the older players but that's where maybe it's an opportunity right because if you're wearing 21 or 23 or nine or well I guess you can't if wear we get to 99 now, Jay Crowder wears 99 yeah I think in the Yankee in baseball the Yankees have like this last week there was a game where I think five of the, half more than half the team had jerseys in the 90s so judge I think judge is 99 well it's I mean you're gonna see again more than other sports because there's more players and then also I think basketball a lot of players have historically worn lower numbers and players like to wear numbers of their favorite players so it just kind of keeps the cycle going that's true no one really a lot of people don't really pick their own number based on just like you know yeah to build a brand around or anything like that it's just you know 20 uh, 48 could be twice as good as 24 though I suppose I mean, you, I mean that's like the Del Curry thing. I mean, he was 15, and then he just he couldn't wear it, so he doubled it and was 30, and then Steph was 30. So I mean, there you go. something like that. Yeah. But that works. All right. Well, who are you gonna pick on this list? Probably. I, I know you got you got to, I know who you're gonna probably pick. Sandoval, I suppose. Yeah, it's gotta be Panda or um, Richter because his name is like sounds like a villain. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm going to go with Richter because he's the only one. In the oh, Hall he's of the fame. only one in the Hall of Fame, too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. However, I kind of, Ramon, uh, Homer, I would go Ramon Martinez with the Dodgers. Uh, Pafco is great because of that number one card in the 52 set. And Travis Afner as well. But yeah, I'll go Richter because he was the only one in the Hall of Fame. All right. Um, well, I think that does it for that. So let's go ahead and move on to the halftime report. All right, so let's just start by providing an update on the U.S. Open. Yeah, it was another week with some significant upsets. Coco Goff got knocked out, as did Rafa Nadal. Yeah, got LeBron ups- started playing tennis, y'all. What? I said LeBron started playing tennis. Really? Yep. Since when? What are you talking about? <laughs> this Tiafo guy. Oh, yes. When he's, pl- when he's playing, I don't think his face looks like him, because I saw him in an interview, but when he's playing and he's got the headband on, with like the stubble, he looks like LeBron to me, like, gotcha. a, like a lot. Yeah, our listeners may not know so what you're saying. So if you don't look at it, if you don't it, look at it too closely while he's playing, he looks like LeBron. I understand. Yeah, I can see that. The, when I saw him on the TV, they were making a big deal of him. I was like, that looks exactly like Miami LeBron. Like I can see that. So our listeners may not know what you're talking about. You're talking about Francis Tiafo, and he's the one that upset Nadal in the U.S. Open. And man, he is he is. He is looking really strong. He is having a really nice tournament and a good player, and he's younger. I think he's 23 or 4, so still a young player. And though what was interesting, too, in the round before that, did you see Nadal had that weird sort of incident where he bloodied his head, his forehead, and no. his nose? He no. was he was going – he was trying to hit, like, I think it was a backhand, and he, like, swung – and then the racket went down. He kind of was like bending, leaning over. It's hard to describe. You have to see it. But the racket hit the court, bounced off the court, and smacked oh, okay. him right in the head. <laughs> and then he like, and then he was like, uh, you could tell he was woozy. Was and it, it like, like a bad? Oh, okay. Yeah, and it, it was bloody. Like a bad hit. Oh yeah, it like immediately opened a big old wound. It was all bloody. He like walked to the, to the you know whatever you call it where they not the sideline but where they go over, you know, where their mm. sort of chairs are or whatever. And then he ended up having to lay down on the court. You could tell he was kind of – but they came out, treated him. He went back out. He won that match, but then came out and lost to Francis Tiafo. Yeah. So – and now 
Tiafo, who's been playing really well, he's in the semifinals, and this is the match to watch, I'm telling you, because he's going to play Carlos Alcaraz, and this kid, holy cow, he is playing well. He's advanced to the semifinals. He's just 19 years old. Bunch of young guys. He, yeah, he's from Spain. This kid is an up-and-comer in the sport. He's one of the ones that people say to keep your eye on. Like I said, just 19. In fact, he actually his success actually inspired the relaunch of the Net Pro tennis cards. Remember, we talked about Net Pro made the rookie cards for you know, Serena and Federer and Nadal and all them. Well, they've been out of the market for a while. They came back because of him. They signed a deal with him. They're now producing his rookie cards this year. I don't know that there are any sets. I know they were selling them on their on the online on their website. I think they're just direct. I don't you know card releases from NetPro, but pretty much all of them are sold out. And a lot of his, those cards now they had some autographs and stuff. And a lot of those cards are now selling for thousands of dollars. But this match between him and Tiafo is going to be absolutely fantastic. Did you see any of the the match last night that Alcaraz? No. Played? Oh my goodness, he no. had this one. It, of course, it's all over the highlights now. But he had this one point where. He was like going to his right, the ball trying to get to, and then the ball got hit behind him. He just basically around his, went behind his back with his racket, hit the ball behind his back like <laughs> a great return. The I forget who was he playing. Oh shoot, I forget who he was playing. Now it wasn't Rudd. Um, I don't remember anyway. But he was at the net, hit it back, and and he came up anyway. It, I can't do it justice in describing. You just have to go watch the highlight reel. It was fantastic play by him but he's doing really well Tiafo's doing really well so that yeah that match I can't say enough about how fun and exciting that match is going to probably be to watch so take a look at that one and then uh, what else Kyrgios got Kyrgios. fined for oh that's right yeah <laughs> my bad uh, he got fined for swearing and spitting on the court so very yeah. fitting he's up to his old just tricks just in character he was and he was that's yelling his, news. yeah and he but he was yelling his own team apparently he didn't feel like they were supporting him uh, he did win that particular match because I think that was the second round match where that happened. But then in the quarterfinals, he got beat. Clearly wasn't happy about it. He let some frustration out on the court. Threw a bit of a tantrum. Basically started just destroying all of his rackets, slamming them on the court, carrying on. Passionate. <laughs> his, yeah. And then uh, Rudd is still in on the men's side. On the women's side, um, we did mention that Goff got beat by Ons Jabor. Uh, yep. That's yep. right. Is still in it. Yep. Um, and Arena Sabalenka is also looking good. Yeah, Arena Sabalenka is looking really strong. She had a good match last night. And then uh, Serena got beat. She lost to, uh, Isla, I think it's Isla is how you pronounce her first name, Tomjanovic. And unfortunately, after that, uh, Margaret Court, who holds the record for most Grand Slam titles, remember she's got 24 to Serena's 23, had some kind of bitter words um, saying that while she admires Serena, she doesn't believe Serena's ever admired her. Court's now 80 years old and kind of, I guess, feels, supposedly based on some of the articles I was reading, said she feels slighted by the tennis world ever since she came out and openly opposed same-sex marriage and when it was proposed in her native Australia and in an interview she took a shot at Williams she not having won a Grand Slam title since giving birth to her daughter Olympia court said quote I came back after two babies after having the first baby I won three out of four slams Serena hasn't won a slam since so man those are, those are some fighting words for 80 year old court that's, that's Margaret I'm court glad she still has that passion she's mad <laughs> yeah um hey I'm she also made the argument she played in a that's, more difficult era. That, that's okay. That, they couldn't bring their families or support staff. This, I mean, to this like comeback after like pregnancy thing is very uh, interesting. 
I, I the era thing I'm just gonna ignore because I think that's just stupid in any sport to compare eras like that. Yeah, she said, um, "quote She thinks it's so much easier. We didn't have psychologists or coaches with us. It's a whole different world." But Players, like everybody else is better, so it's yeah, it's yeah. just like a, and it's just different. Yeah, that's a stupid argument. But <clears throat> I hate to see that. To be honest, hate to see someone like that. You know, I, I kind of understand where she's coming from because you don't it. hear a lot about Margaret Court, and yet she is the all-time women's Grand Slam. Yeah, champion. I don't mind it. I mean, you think I'm? I'm gonna compare this. You think? Um, are we always compares LeBron and Mike Mount? You think if Kobe was still out right here, he'd be pissed <laughs> that he's not in that conversation? So I don't like. Yeah. I don't like. I don't think. I don't see anything wrong with this. Yeah. Probably um, true. All right. Well, let's let's that's enough on that. Let's move on to some baseball news. All right. Um, Pujols. Pujols hit career number home run number 695 with a pinch hit home run against the Cubs, which, by the way, was his 451st pitcher. Remember, he already had broke the record that Bonds held with 450, now 451. And he's just one home run behind A-Rod for fourth on the all-time list at 696. Remember, Babe Ruth has 714, Hank Aaron has 755, and then Barry Bonds with the asterisk has 762. All right, and then I also, I guess we didn't fact check this. But yeah, this was kind of an interesting stat. Yeah, we came across a stat on August 29th, 2022. Uh, Serena wins at the U.S. Open, and Pujols hit a home run, and Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, and um, Kevin Kevin Biggio. Kevin Biggio each get a hit. Yep. Um, so that was August 29th, so, of 2022. Okay, so she just gets a win at the U.S. Open. Yep. Okay, and yep. then in 2001, on the same date, the same thing happens basically, except. It's not the same. It's all of their, uh, the dads. Pools oh, and Serena. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Okay, you had a lot of the same. Okay, I'm just reading last names here. Yeah, so August 29th, 2001. So what is that, 21 years ago? Serena wins at the U.S. Open. Pools hits a home run. But Vladimir Guerrero Sr., uh, Craig Biggio, who's Kevin's dad, and Dante Bichette, who's Bo's dad, all got a hit that day. Fast forward 21 years. And all their sons, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, and Bo Bichette all get a hit. And yet, Pujols and Serena still there. Still 21 kicking. years. Yeah, Serena wins still, the U.S. Open, Pujols hits a home run. So I, was, I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, I've always thought it would be kind of fun to collect. I, I, I mean, I probably have a lot of them, but maybe like make an official, you know, collection of fathers and sons cards that play. Uh, that's very interesting. More for me, the fact that... Um, the sons are playing against the same player that their dad played that against. Their dad played against. That their yeah. dad played against. They're literally the same player. They're still there. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, usually you would assume, like, that, you know, their dad's telling all oh, this guy, you know, he's a killer. He's so good. But you'll never play against him. Well, now they're, yeah. they go and they play against him on the, on the tail end of their career. So, yep. Yep. Interesting. It is interesting. Uh, and definitely speaks to the long and legendary careers that both Pujols and Serena had. Then Aaron Judge hit uh, hit a few home runs this past week, but ultimately got to 55 now. He's heating up. He had home runs in four straight games. He's on pace for 63. And then, yeah, with 55, he now becomes the all-time Yankees home run leader for right-handed hitters, um, passing A-Rod, who hit 54 in 07. And I guess caveat, uh, both, both Roger Maris yeah. and Babe Ruth uh, were left-handed. So they were left-handed, That's left why they were not yes. like, included in this. Exactly, yeah, because it was the record for right-handed hitters. But they are... But he's, he's approaching both of them. Remember, Maris has got uh, 61, Babe Ruth 60, or their mark. So he's approaching that. 
And then, like we like to say, it wouldn't be a week in the hobby without Shohei Otani setting another record or making history, and this week was no different. He became the only player, well, he already was the only player in Major League Baseball history to hit 30 home runs and have 100 strikeouts in a single season. Well, now he's done it twice, two seasons in a row. And get this, he's also the only player in history to have a 30 home runs and a 10 win season. You think about that for a minute. Look, I was going back. People talk about Babe Ruth and like, well, he's, you know, the current day's version of Babe Ruth. But what people may not realize, Babe Ruth really only pitched during, I mean, a lot during the 1915 to 1919 seasons. He pitched in a handful of games in 1914 and then maybe just one or two games in a couple of seasons after 1919. But pretty much all of his pitching stats were from 1915 to 1919. But his hitting production didn't come until after that. The bulk of his hitting production actually came after he stopped pitching. So from 1919 to 1934 is where he racked up most of his hitting production. So when you put that in perspective and you think about what Otani's doing today, it's really impressive and it really is unprecedented. It's not, it's not even things that Babe Ruth did. Because like I said, Babe Ruth, it was kind of separate. He really didn't pitch after 1919. And then that's where he went on a tear and hit you know all the home runs and everything else. Well, Otani's doing it at the same time, and he's doing it now in back-to-back seasons. And it's, I'm telling you, I just, it's it's crazy. I mean, he is, it's amazing what he's doing. And uh, we were talking earlier about Dante and, and Bo Bichette. Well, don't look now, but Bo Bichette's finally heating up, which I'm happy about because I have him on my uh, fantasy baseball team. He got, he's in like, we're like halfway into the the week here and he's already got 40 points for me on my fantasy baseball team so that's good because we're coming into the, the stretch run it's like one or two more weeks left before the playoffs start for fantasy baseball but he had a three home run game this past week he's hitting over 500 in the month of september with four home runs 12 rbis six run scores all of that's just in five games he was hitting 257 prior to the all-star break he's hitting over 300 post the all-star break and by the way his rookie cards are in the 2020 sets and, certain, you know, it's been noticed the last couple of weeks, like his Topps Chrome base, as an example, in a PSA 10, it's up over 40%. Now, granted, it's from a low price. It was it was like 15 to $20. So here's an example. People talk about how expensive the hobby's gotten. You could have got Bobachette's rookie card, Topps Chrome, and a PSA 10 for 15 to 20 bucks. Well, now it's selling for around $30, give or take. Pop count, extremely high. There's over 11,000 of those, but still. It's you know an example where you can pick up a good player. His his 2016 Bowman uh, draft Chrome Refractor in a PSA 10, which has a pop count of just 851, it sold for 150 dollars, which was up from the 70 to 90 dollar range it was at prior to this recent stretch in the last couple of weeks where he's gotten hot. So another example of where you know there's some opportunities. Uh, even when people talk about how expensive cards have become, there's some good players out there, and the performance on the field can lead to good opportunities and the values of their cards. And then there's some other stories in baseball that we need to touch on, but we'll save them for next time to try to get through. we got a lot more to cover today, but like the Braves have been absolutely unterrible. We talked a little earlier, Jacob deGrom coming back and looking lights out for the Mets. So, But let's move on. we got some big NBA news out this week. Yeah, we finally got... Uh, another big trade. I think the Utah situation's kind of resolved itself now, kind of maybe. Um, so Donovan Mitchell was traded to Cleveland. So Cleveland, they received uh, Lori Markkinen, uh, Ochai Agbaji, who was the uh, you know 14th pick out of Kansas from from this draft, um, and they got Colin Sexton as well as three first round picks, 
plus a couple of pick swaps. And then Sexton also signed a four-year extension with Utah as part of that sign-and-trade deal. Um, so I think I guess that kind of resolves what Utah's intentions were. They said a lot about wanting to build around you know Donovan Mitchell, but listening to trade offers, well, they just went ahead and traded him, and they now have 13 first-round picks through 2029. So yeah. Danny Ainge really just pulled off like the heist of the offseason with Rudy Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell. So Utah's in, in great shape over the next uh, few years. So they are. And so is Cleveland. Cleveland was already a pretty solid team last season. Just got a lot better. Definitely a team that's going to be fighting uh, for standings in the East for sure. Which well, just makes the East even deeper. Yeah, I was I was interested to get your take on Cleveland because I feel like even though uh, Utah is making out with picks, I feel like this is a pretty good pickup for them. Yeah, I mean, they got, what, like three All-Stars now? Um, and Garland, uh, Jared Allen, and, and now Donovan. So, I mean, that's a great backcourt. Plus, they're, I mean, they've got like the Twin Towers still, um, you know, Mobley and Allen. They got rid of Markinen, but they still have a ton of size. And and again, Sexton was injured basically the entire season last season. So they didn't even get to like have like their arguably best player play last season. They still had that that kind of production. So it should be really interesting to see how good they are this season. And then on the other hand, with Utah, it, it kind of just seems like um, a good chance they keep Igbaji, but I'm not sure that they keep marking or sexton those seem like two good trade pieces so i don't know we'll see what they do with that especially with all the picks they got i don't know well and looking at donovan mitchell's card values they they did definitely see an uptick in value after this news came out you had for example i was looking at his uh his 2017 sets are where the rookie cards are i was looking at like select concourse base in a psa 10 that was up about 40 percent in the last month the, uh, the 2017 Prism base in a PSA 10 was up about 20% in the last month. His Optic Hollow in a PSA 10 was up about 80% in the last month. And his National Treasures, uh, not as many transactions on that particular one, but definitely had a tick higher of about 9 to 10%. So from a card value perspective, it seemed to be uh, believed that this is going to be good for donovan mitchell and the value of his i would say so i mean they're kind of coming to a standstill in utah so i I mean it should be a good way to kind of reinvigorate that a little bit i think it's a good situation for everybody involved we can go ahead and give an update on the WNBA playoffs so chicago connecticut they're tied at two games apiece game five is tonight candace parker has been leading the way for chicago she's She's been just oh man she's until game four she was the leading scorer in every single game of that series. But then she wasn't in game four, and, of course, they lost that game. And she's like – she may retire soon, too. That's the, Like, her and Sue Bird look like they can just still play, like, five more years. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. For real. And um, they're uh, – Lighting it up. Game five is tonight. Yep. So that's going to be an interesting one. Um, and then – Just Las- as you predicted. Yeah, well, it was Vegas. starting to look a little interesting. Vegas did get past Seattle three games to one. I think – I mean, that would have been – I should have gone to a game five for real, but well, kind of unfortunate for Sue Bird. I mean, like her last home game, yeah, lost to Vegas. The last regular season game, lost to Vegas. Last playoff game, lost to Vegas at home. <laughs> at least it was a home, I suppose. But yeah, but still a great run. But Vegas is just on fire, man. 
Well, and that Chelsea was... Gray is on fire, man. She's her effective field goal percentage. I saw this is through the playoffs is like seventy two percent or something. Hmm. Like she's like not missing at all. It's ridiculous. And she was like, I think I've talked about her before. She's already like one of my favorite players in the WNBA for a while. Just lighting it up right now. It is awesome to see. I love her game. Well, it you talk about her, which she did. She's had or did have a great series, but. That series was also a nice uh, MVP battle yeah. between Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart. In Game 2, Brianna Stewart had 32 points in a losing effort as Asia Wilson put in 33 to go along with 13 boards. And then in Game 3, Asia Wilson had 34 points and 11 boards, while Brianna Stewart poured in 20 points and 15 boards and 6 assists. Then in Game 4, Stewart absolutely went off. Had 26 yeah. points in the first half alone, setting a WNBA playoff record for the most points in a first half. Well, tying one. And ended up with, or was it a tie? Oh, oh no, no, no. You're right about the first half. The first half, yeah. The first yeah. half. Yeah, total, the 40, total was a tie. 42 points in total for the game. Of course, all of it in a losing effort because, like you said, Chelsea Gray dropped 31 with 10 assists, but then Asia Wilson also had another 23 points with 13 boards. I so. mean, that was still like, I mean, that one came down to the wire. And the game before that the end of that fourth quarter was nuts i don't know if you saw that like three buckets were scored in like four seconds or something or three seconds at the end to force it to overtime and then the aces just blew them out in overtime but yeah yeah, and you have to i want to also caveat these like scoring numbers with the fact that um the wnba games are eight minutes shorter than the nba games so like at this pace uh, in a 48 minute game like that's very easily a 50 piece for Brianna so just to like put that into a little bit of perspective that's a really good 42 point. is a little bit more impressive in the WNBA than it is in the NBA because there's less time in the game so that's an excellent point and kind of related to that series like I said we had the some additional awards or at least the big award came out MVP award for the season came yeah out. Uh, un- unsurprising I think she kind of pulled away with it at the end of the season but Asia Wilson Asia Wilson her second got it. It's her second award. She her first one was in 2020, but it was close. Brianna Stewart, mm-hmm. they were it was neck and neck between those two. And man, did they put on a show in that series and really demonstrated why they were the two vote getters in that MVP race. Wilson is actually just the seventh player to win more than one MVP. She's also the fifth player in league history to win both the MVP and the Defensive Player of the Year awards in the same season. And by the way, she does have some cards out there. Uh, she's in the 2019 Donruss Optic set. Of course, her first year of Panini Prism is in 2020. And then her rookie card is actually in 2018. It's that Rittenhouse WNBA set we've talked about. You can actually get autographs in that one as well. The base card in that set serial numbered to 500, which is kind of cool. And the last sale, there's not a lot of transactions that I could find. But the last one I could find on the 2018 cards on card ladder one was an autograph card that sold in may of this year it was raw and it sold for about two hundred dollars to give you an idea on where some of her stuff is but she's probably one if you want to collect some women's basketball uh, she's probably one that would be good to uh to have in your collection very entertaining player to watch too i like her game yep and then we got some hockey news oh yeah so hillary uh, knight set an international ice hockey federation Women's World Championships scoring record and a 12 to 1 win over Hungary. Uh, she now has 87 points at the World Championships, passing Canadian Hall of Famer Haley Wickenheiser. Yeah, our listeners may remember us. We talked about her going into the Winter Olympics because she was one. She had a really good 
Winter Olympics. And, uh, and then EA Sports also announced the cover for their 2023 NHL video game. And it's going to be two people. It's going to be Trevor Zegras of the Anaheim Ducks. We talked a lot about him during the hockey season. And then Team Canada star Sarah Nurse, who becomes the first women's hockey player to appear on the cover. So that's pretty cool. And, and here's another going along with our fun facts that we did earlier with pools. Here's a fun fact I came across that I thought was kind of interesting and funny at the same time. It was saying uh, when Sweden and Denmark play each other, you know how they always use like a three letter yeah. abbreviation so the scoreboard would display for sweden s-w-e and for denmark d-e-n which is sweden right. and then the letters left yeah for sweden would be denmark d-e-n yep. and for denmark it'd be m-a-r-k which is denmark interesting <laughs> so, yeah thought that was kind of funny all right let's move on what else we got um so soccer um mbappe signed an exclusive autograph deal with panini I'm 23-year-old French soccer star, signed an exclusive multi-year deal for cards and autos. Yeah, Panini, so. this was a big deal. You know, four years ago, he became the youngest French player to score in a World Cup. He joined Pele as the only teenager to score a goal in a World Cup final. And it was really interesting because, remember, earlier this year, Topps actually signed a deal with his pro team in Europe to produce a high-end set under their Chrome brand that was going to include the first on-card autograph of Mbappe. Well, now... It's looking like those are going to be the only Topps Mbappe autograph cards because Panini got the deal with him. So I think that's interesting. And his first autos will be in the National Treasures FIFA Road to World Cup product to be released in the coming week or two. Yeah, and so talking of card releases, let's touch on a few. We'll jump into that. We're not going to touch on all the card releases coming up, but just a, a few, one that you just mentioned. I think this is going to be an interesting one and potentially a highly sought-after one given the World Cup coming up in November, but the Panini has their 2022 Soccer National Treasures release coming out soon. It's the FIFA or FIFA Road to World Cup. It's 10 cards per pack, one pack per box. You're going to get eight autos or memorabilia cards, one base or base parallel, and an additional card in each box. And every card, as is the case with National Treasures, is serial numbered to 99 or less. And there's not, of course, a logo man or a shield like there is in the NFL and Bass and the NBA. So the chase in this one is what's called the brand logo autograph card. So think the brand is like, like think of Adidas and, right. you know, that kind of thing. All right, uh, 2022 Panini Baseball Immaculate. First off the line at $750. Six cards per pack, one pack per box. Unlicensed, but some nice cards, autos, and patch slash relic autos. Yeah, and remember that one. That So that first off the line, it did complete. It's done now. It's no longer available. But now the non-first off the line, I think that happened yesterday. Okay. Uh, and the the and so I didn't have a chance to update the notes. But the non-first off the line will now be. Remember that 750 was in Dutch auction. So it ultimately it came down from that. I don't know where the non-first off the line is going to be just yet from a pricing perspective. I'm guessing maybe four to $500 a box, something like that. We'll see. Uh, Tops has their 2022 fire. It's a relatively inexpensive uh, set, but there's 20 packs in a box. There's six cards per pack. You can get it on Tops website right now for $85 a box. And this one I think is interesting because there is a Shohei Otani auto in this one. So that to me feels like the chase for $85 a box seems like a seems worth it for to chase that because anything with his autograph on it is generally doing really well. And Tops did reveal the design of their 2023 flagship set, so we'll we don't we don't have to talk about it here, but we'll post on social media what that looks like. 
And then I'll take this one because this one's a really interesting one to me. The Tops has their 2022 Museum Baseball. It is actually out now. Hobby boxes have four mini boxes. Each of them have five cards. Some really nice autos and relic autos or patch autos in this one. Um, I thought at the time I wrote the notes, I didn't. We didn't have the price. We now do, and it's about 400 bucks. Um, and again, and there are Shohei Otani autographs in this particular set. So maybe one to go after. All right, and then we have 2022 to 23 Upper Deck MVP Hockey. Um, no autos in this one. It's less expensive. It's going to be 20 packs with eight cards per pack. Um, it does have some nice inserts and a chase element of 2022 Draft Pick Redemptions. Um, it's probably going to be about $70 per box. Yeah, and then Penny has their 2022 Donruss Elite Football. It's also a lesser expensive set. It does have, though, some of the first cards of rookies in their NFL uniforms and on-card autographs. There's 20 packs in a box and five cards per pack. And the uh, pricing that just got released on that, you can get that directly on Panini's website for about $295 per box. And then there is the uh, Tops also has their UEFA Champions League Merlin Chrome Soccer coming out. It's 2021-22. There will be 18 packs with four cards per pack. There will be an auto in each box, several inserts, refractors, all that kind of stuff. We don't have pricing on that just yet. And then here's one I think is really interesting. I'm, I'm going to probably try to pick up a few of these. The 2021 Upper Deck Skybox Metal Universe Champions. They're going to include the PMGs in this one, the Precious Metal Gems. Looks really cool. I think that one's going to sell well. I don't have pricing on it yet, but that's coming out soon. All right, and then finally, the 2022 Tops Formula One flagship product will have 20 packs and eight cards per pack. Uh, there's no autos, but there are some relics and inserts. Yeah, Formula One, it's going to be interesting. That was a hot product last year, and so we'll see how that does this year. One quick one that we didn't have in our notes that I just got an email from Tops about said that's coming soon. We've talked about their Tops the T206 cards they've been doing. Well, they are going to release a Star Wars version of those T206 cards. So stay tuned for that. They said coming soon. I'm not exactly sure when they plan to release it or what the price is. Typically, it's it's like 15 bucks a box and you get like 10 cards in a box, something like that. That's at least what the baseball ones are. So we'll see what they do with Star Wars. But I think that's going to be a kind of cool one. I'm definitely going to pick up a few of those. And then we did have some hobby-specific news. Uh, so the dates and the locations for the next three years of the national were announced it's going to be in chicago next year followed by cleveland and then chicago again in 2025 so in 2023 from july 26th to 30th in chicago that's at that rosemont stevens convention center same place it was in in 2021 then in 2024 it goes to cleveland cleveland rocks I'm sure Steve Greenberg from Greeny Sports Cards is happy about that from July 24th to 28th. And then 20, in 2025, goes back to Chicago, same convention center from July 30th to August 3rd. All right, and CSG announced that they are reducing their minimum for bulk submissions to 25 cards. It used to be a 50-card minimum. Um, the cost is $15 per card. The turnaround time is expected to be 30 days. Yeah, and then in my notes I had written here, I was going to say I'm hearing rumors that PSA is going to be announcing a price cut soon. Well, those aren't rumors anymore because before, right as we started recording, I got a, a notice from PSA that they have just reintroduced their bulk service level. And so the bulk service level is going to be priced at $22 per card. There's going to be a 25-card minimum and it has a $199 max declared value per card. It has an estimated turnaround time of 120 to 150 days. So that one I think is very interesting. It is, I think it is for collectors club members only. 
Uh, so I don't know. I think you have to be a collector's club member to get that. But there you go. This is the competitive nature between the grading companies that we said we thought was going to happen. And we're going to start to see pricing come down as they have to keep try to attract orders, right, in order to keep the excess capacity they built out over the last couple of years and keep that utilized. And so I think we're going to continue to see this type of competitive, um, you know, pricing and, and, and offers coming out from the different grading companies. Like you see here, we got CSG and PSA both doing stuff. I'd imagine SGC is probably going to be next. And then we're going to have to take some time. We didn't don't have time today, but I want to talk a little bit about TAG. Some of our listeners may remember, you know, we talked how Jeremy Lee, um, who, who has several podcasts, he's a, a fairly popular uh, a person in, in the hobby, has several podcasts, Sports Card Live. He does stuff for collectible. He does a lot of different things. Well, he is uh, now, he did a five-part series on a new grading company called Tag. It's really interesting what they're doing. And now Jeremy Lee is actually taking a position with them. He's going to be their vice president of business development, and he's all in on it. And so he's well-respected in the hobby. And so we're going to have to take some time in a future show to talk a little bit more about Tag and what they're doing on the grading side because they could be a disruptor in the space. All right. Uh, then my slabs tease that they will be making some big announcements this next week. Yeah, we had Matt Greeny on our show. They didn't. They haven't said what they are yet. I haven't seen the announcement, but I'm. You know, we did talk to him about maybe them doing auctions. So I'm wondering if that's it. We'll have to see. Stay tuned on that. Uh, Tops, did you see this? Tops commemorated the Timmy Trumpet live appearance at the Mets Dodgers game with a Tops Now card. This was cool. It sold out really quick, but it's that intro music. Have you seen this? I don't think so. Oh my goodness! You have to. If you any of our listeners that haven't seen this, you got to check it out. It's the intro music that gets played for Edwin Diaz, who's a relief pitcher for the Mets. It's absolutely epic. They play. It's this trump. It's called. I think the song is called Narco. It's it's played by this trumpet players. They call him Timmy Trumpet. And they play it every time Edwin Diaz comes into the game. It's absolutely epic. Well, they had Timmy Trumpet come to the stadium and actually play it live <laughs> when they were playing the Dodgers. That's cool. Holy cow. It was unbelievable. And I'm telling you, they need to do this for the playoffs. Mets are probably going to be in the playoffs. They absolutely need to bring him back for every single playoff game and have that happen because that stadium will absolutely be rocking. It's a really awesome spectacle to see. And I think it would be totally insane to have him do that in the playoffs. It's fun. Check it. Go. Yeah. There are there are videos out yeah. there of it. You can watch it. It is it is really cool. It's it's one of the best entrances I think ever in baseball. And it would, it'd be fun to see that in the playoffs. All right. Um, and then there was another attic find this time in Vermont inside a shoebox. A 1933 Uncle Jack's candy Babe Ruth card was found. Yeah, the card wasn't in great condition, but it was put on eBay and it sold for forty-eight thousand dollars. These cards were produced in New England, so the find in Vermont makes some sense. But here you go. This is that treasure hunt aspect of the hobby. There were 30 players on the checklist for that particular set. The cards were printed in four different colors, though, so there's actually a total of 120 cards that you can get. But to date, only a, about 200 cards in total have been graded by PSA, SGC, and Beckett combined. So that was quite the find. I need to find, buy a house and make a find like that in the attic. <laughs> That's, <laughs> I don't know. That'd be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. Let's touch on a couple of uh, card ladder record sales, and then we'll jump into the interview with Nate. Uh, let's see. We got a couple of interesting ones here. I'm going to shorten this up a little. We won't do all of these. But there was uh, – so Sabrina Ionescu, her 2020 Panini Prism Silver in a PSA 10 sold for $1,000 will call it $1,522 via eBay. Uh, there's some different – you know, some Josh Allen, some, uh, some Justin Herbert – 
uh, some and then there's some vintage Ted Williams. Uh, there's a Kurt Gibson one in here, 1981 tops Kurt Gibson on PSA 10, sold for $9,900 via Heritage. Albert Pujols, his 2001 SPX autograph card, serial number to 1500 in a PSA 8, sold for $2,000. Let's see, we were talking about Mbappe. Well, his 2018 Panini Prism World Cup gold, which was uh, parallel, which is serial number to 10, in a PSA 10. There's only two of those in the pop count sold for $216,000 via Heritage. And then we were talking about the Formula One and how the, the, that uh, product was popular. So the 2020 Topps Chrome F1 Max Verstappen. This was the Sapphire edition, which I like. It's the 70th anniversary image variation. So it was serial numbered to 70 for that 70th anniversary. And a PSA 9 sold for $5,500. Here's a non-sports card. This one's popular. It's kind of a cool card. A 1966 Topps Batman. This was the Black Bat Batman. It's the number one card in that set. <laughs> What? Batman, Black Bat, the Batman base. Yes, yeah. it was. Lord. It's an SGC four, and it sold for three hundred ninety-five dollars via eBay. It's basically just Batman, but I guess there were maybe two different versions of Batman. Like there was a black and then maybe a blue Batman. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. The cartoon, sure. I think, had a blue one. I seem to think. Yeah. So. Um, and then the last one I want to do is this one was really cool. It has a really unique story to it, so I wanted to mention it. It's a 1990 Topps, but is a George H.W. Bush, the former president, uh, in a PSA 8 sold for $10,000 via eBay. Now, some people might think, what, a 1990 Topps? Isn't that like a highly, you know, popular or high pop count type of card? But it's actually not. Here's the unique and interesting story about that card. That card apparently came about when uh, one of the president's grandsons pondered why his grandpa had never had a baseball card because President H or former President H.W. Bush played baseball growing up. He was the captain of the Yale team that reached the College World Series in 1948. And so Topps proceeded to make a special card that featured a young Bush in his Yale uniform. It carries the same design as the regular 1990 Topps baseball set. Um, the back includes some stats from his time with the Yale team in 47 and 48. And in December of 1989, Topps presented a binder of these cards to George Bush at the White House. And there was an article in Topps magazine that said that particular card, it's numbered USA 1, had a print run of 100 cards, just 100 of them. However, it's not known if Topps held on to any copies themselves. It was also reported that at least one copy made its way into packs. And a People magazine article um, from 1990 cites how a collector claims to have pulled one from a pack that they bought at an Illinois card shop. Uh, PSA, who's graded some of these, unraveled a little more of the mystery behind it because they discovered there was an easy way to tell if the card was presented to President Bush at the White House because the White House copies have a layer of coating over it to make it appear glossy. And those that don't have that or that came from elsewhere, they don't have that coating on it. And so, and it's not to say that those, if they don't have the coating, they're fake. They can be uh, authentic, but they were just not the cards that were given to the president at the White House. Um, the PSA says that it all, they also have more than 100 of, of these cards, I believe, that have been graded. I think there's maybe 123 or something like that. Um, and they're estimating that there was a former TOPS employee that brought about 70 copies onto the secondary market. And I'm sure there's bound to be others. But anyway, the bottom line is this card is except who knows exactly how many of them are there out there, but it's probably less than 200. So it's exceptionally rare. 
and there have been this card does sell from time to time but not often and when it does it's like this one here it's typically setting records there are i think i said before 123 cards between both the glossy and non-glossy versions that are on the psa pop report there are no tens there are only two nines and there are 44 eights this particular one was an eight hmm. so i thought that right. was kind of cool yeah it's interesting yeah all right, well, that does it for the Halftime Report. So um, we're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Nate Burns from Grand Slam Collectibles, and then we'll come back and wrap up the show. All right, we are joined today by Nate from Grand Slam Collectibles. Uh, Nate is uh, the card shop owner of Grand Slam, which is another local to our market, Middle Tennessee area. We had our listeners will know we had Chris Kelsey from Nash cards on a couple shows ago and he's, you know, in the sort of suburb of Nashville market Murph, you're based out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, right? Nate, which is a, also a suburb of, of the Nashville area. So Nate, welcome to the show and thank you for being, will, being willing to spend some time and, and come on today with us. Sure, man. Glad, uh, glad to do it. Uh, appreciate you asking me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, we're doing a card shop owner series where we're trying to highlight some of the, the good guys in the hobby and some of the people that we would recommend our listeners try to do some business with. And uh, we've come across you guys a couple of times. I, I saw your, you, you guys had a really nice, you had some nice cards. We'll get into this a little bit later because I want to talk about what your experiences have been like at some of the shows. But I saw you at the National, also saw you at the the quote unquote National, which is which was here in Nashville, uh, the, the Nashville's version of that, which happened a few weeks before the National. And you had some really nice stuff in your cases. But before we get into that, let me just ask you kind of, how did you get started? How long have you been doing this? And, uh, how, you know, how did you get started? I, I uh, literally walked into a gas station when I was seven years old in Huntington, Tennessee, where I grew up. And I bought a pack of 84 Fleer, a cello pack. And I got a Carl Yastrzemski card. And when I got home, my brother was, I guess, 11 or 12 at the time. He wanted it. And that was really the first time as a six or seven year old that my much older brother wanted something I had. So immediately that clicked. Well, then a couple months later, our parents took us to a card shop in Harding, Harding Mall here in Middle Tennessee. And I walked in and you got to remember, I'm just seven years old and I can I can still remember walking into EGADS and saying, oh, you can do this for a job. You know, I didn't think he owned it. I, I just thought, Oh, he has a job. And I knew it. I said, this is what I want to do with my life. And from that point on, I've always kind of worked towards that. And whenever I was able to, you know, take a stab at it, that's what I did. Nice. That's very cool. So when did you actually open your first store then? Um, I opened in 2016 here in Murfreesboro. There was a time here in Murfreesboro when I was in college that I had a little office where I was selling eBay and, things like that, but it didn't have regular hours or anything like that. So, I mean, my first real card shop was 2016 here in Murfreesboro. So you've been doing it for several years now. And then, like you said, doing it maybe online and in other, in other means before that for, for many years. So what, well, first of all, before we get into maybe some other experiences and different things like that, what all do you guys, I, I know you, you pretty much sell the gamut of everything, right? Singles, wax, vintage, modern, non-sports cards, you pretty much have everything. Yeah, we try to keep um, pretty much what you just named, Pokemon in the non-sports uh, area. We have memorabilia, hobby boxes. We probably have 150 different choices for hobby boxes. And 
tons of graded singles. We try to uh, just, we want when people come into the store, it not just to be a dirty old uh, card shop. We want it to be an experience. So you're going to see autographed Tom Brady uh, paintings from the national. You're going to see, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, autographed shoes, things like that, that aren't necessarily for sale, but they're for our customers to enjoy. Very cool. And so what are all the outlets that you guys sell? I know you, you have a physical shop and then you've mm-hmm. got an online presence. Your website, if I've got it right, is uh, only or, or what is it? Only at Grand Slam. Yeah. Right? Only at Grand dot com. Yep. Only at Grand dot com. And then I know you're on Facebook as well. Right. What other right. you have other social media or. Yeah, we do a little bit on Instagram. Not a whole lot. We do a ton of Facebook about 80% of our business is online through the website. Obviously the store there locally, we will set up at a, just like you said, the Nashville card show that Jeff Roberts does is amazing. I'm going to be doing that at the end of October. Um, going to be bigger than the last one. So I'm excited about that. That's I'll cool. hit a couple shows. I, I feel like it's important to, to do the shows sometimes. Absolutely. And, and I should say, I should point out not to be confused with, cause there is a, a grand slam collectibles uh, in New York. And, and I think when you go on social media, the, the difference that people can search for is yours. If they search for only at grand slam, um, that'll get you, that'll get everyone to the right place. I think. Yeah. 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 All right. So let's talk a little bit about your, well, first of all, yeah, you mentioned it. So I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Nashville, Nashville has had, now, Nashville has some shows, I think, what, probably every month, but they've got a big show now that's happened a few, couple times throughout the year. There's a, there's actually another, there's a big one, I think, it run by a different gentleman in September that they do at the Williamson County Ag uh, mm-hmm. Expo. And that's, I, I, I want to say that's four or 500 tables. But then the, the, the show that I think you're talking about coming up is also, I think, a four or 500 table show. They do one at the, um, uh, oh, what's the place called here in Nashville? kind of near the soccer stadium, the old fairgrounds, I guess. Yeah. It's the new fairgrounds now. New, I mean, new fairgrounds. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so what, what's, I mean, in Nashville, the card show here has been exploding. I mean, how, what's been, what are your thoughts on that? How long have you been doing that for setting up and kind of what's been in your experience there? Well, I mean, I think Jeff Roberts and the Nashville show is very similar to some of our <clears throat> card shop situations. You know, Jeff used to set up uh, 10 or 20 tables at the embassy suites, lose money, hang in there, keep doing it over and over. And over time he's built up, you know, he's built up this 500 table. Uh, there, there is no other, there's no other card show in Nashville that has 500 tables. There's, I think the one you're referring to may have a couple hundred max, but it, okay. I've been there and it's just, I, I don't set up there. Yeah. I'm going to set up at the biggest one. And that's Jeff's just done it through hard work. So I kind of respect that where <clears throat> he's, put in a ton of time and energy. So I try to, I try to set up at his and support his if I can, just because I've seen all the work that he's, he's, he's been doing this. He's been at it for, I know I was going to his shows, I think in 06. So, I mean, we're talking 15, 16 years where he's been, when there was no money in it, he was doing it for the love of doing it. And those Mm -hmm. are the type of people that I truly respect. You know, you're going to see a lot of card shops come in in the last couple of years when when the, when the when the dollar bills dry up and it's a little bit harder work they're going to leave as fast as they came in and yeah. i think that's similar with the card show promoters you know so um not to get off track but 
the Nashville show that he's built up, he has two a month. Those are like a hundred tables, but he'll do two or three a year where they're just these massive blowouts. And um, I just have a real good experience there. So, I mean, I can't say enough good things about that place. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, I, with everything that you just said there, and he does do a great job. We've been to that show uh, the last two that they've done it's, and it's been incredible. And, and by the way, and so the last one I was at, I was looking at some of the, the stuff that you had in your cases you had some big, you had some big cards. There, were, you had a. I think there was a, a couple of Gaudi Babe Ruths and maybe a, a Lou Gehrig Gaudi. I, I, I like, I like all, you know, all right. genres of cards, I guess. But, but I do kind of get attracted to the vintage stuff. And I noticed you had quite a few nice cards in there. So, where do you typically source your cards? Do you buy collections out, or how do you do that? Yeah, we buy car. I mean, after six years uh, online. And, you know, we have, I think, 40,000, almost 40,000 followers on our Facebook page now. So it's a little easier to round it up than it used to be. But just like everybody else, people will come into the store every blue moon. But that's not very often. It's mainly um, those cards. You're not picking them up cheap. You know, you're buying those and uh, enjoying them in your collection. And then when they go up, sell them and so to answer your question, I get them at these big shows, you know, people think a lot of this just falls in, in dealers laps and it doesn't, they, you've got to go to Chicago to the big shows. You've got to make connections with people. You've got to be a, a decent member of the community. You know, I mean, not everybody's going to like you. If everybody likes you, there's probably just as big a problem with you <laughs> as if nobody likes you. So, I mean, I've learned to kind of, Hey man, don't worry about, the 10 or 20% that are, you know, just not very good people or, or you guys don't click, you know? So yeah. my point is, is you can't, and you can't sit around trying to please everybody. You're going to end up getting the short end of the stick all the time in these deals. So um, my advice would be, you know, hit the bigger card shows, meet more people, listen when the big guys are, are, are talking at the shows, things like that. You can pick up quite a bit, but it's just not something that's really learned in a day or two. It just takes time. Yeah. And when you go to shows, uh, so I want to ask about both sides of the table, the buying and selling. So let's start with the buying. When you go to the shows and people come up, want to sell stuff to you, you're looking to buy. What do you, are, do you typically have a, I don't want to say strategy, but you have a particular way that you lean like, Hey, there's particular cards, whether it's a particular sport or particular maybe range in price, or is there kind of a sweet spot where you like to buy? Yeah. I mean, there, my strategy is pretty simple. Um, you know, if it's an item that I want and let's just say, I, I ask myself, can I get this at a regional show? If the answer is yes, I go down that road. If the answer is no, then I ask myself, can I get this at the national? If the answer is no, again, I'm going to pay a whole lot more percentage for that card if need be. Yeah. Um, you know, all this shiny stuff that everybody has at their tables, uh, PSA graded nines and tens of, of silvers and select and, and prism lasers. I, I am very, I've left so much money on the table just because I don't care for that stuff. It's not that you can't make some money on it. It's just that I think it's kind of our era of the junk wax from the eighties yeah. where they just make so much of it sooner or later that stuff's going to gonna come down some more. So I, I, I pay less for that is what I'm getting at. If somebody brings me, let's say somebody brings me a National Treasures Justin Herbert RPA, I'm going to pay a way higher percentage for that card than I am of a Justin Herbert, you know, 
blue a uh, green scope yeah. even though there's only 75 or 99 of that card there's 50 other versions of it so yeah. um i try to stay away from the shiny stuff what i personally am looking for is stuff that you can't find at every card show and card shop that's really what i'm after right now after this six years we've kind of built up enough of the other stuff it's we're looking more for the the tougher stuff to find yeah i know brandon always uh comments about how there's just too many when we we kind of we have a segment often that we'll do where we'll talk about record sales um and we get information from card ladder and a lot of times just all the different parallels and variations it's just it's a mouthful just to read words. Words. just to yeah <laughs> it, 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 i can't even tell who the player is because it's just too many words two sentences before it's, you get to the player's name and see and that's what happened in the late 80s early 90s a lot of these people who got into this in the last year or two they don't know any of this stuff they're just you know i mean how would they but in the late 80s early 90s you know it was it was fleer donruss tops yeah. and then score and then upper deck well then after those five that pushed it to the limit well then in 90 when leaf and uh, stadium club and they were branching off into other products you know you were talking about 20 30 40 50 products and that was a set builders time uh, you know customers or, or collectors got out in droves they just they were just done they were soured on it and it's just like with the prism stuff you know you collect let's say uh, Pat Tillman. Well, they have 50 different prism variations. If you want to try to build the rainbow, it's expensive. It's not cheap. Yeah. So I worry about that. But at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, you know, so um, maybe maybe I'm just a little too cautious, but it's something that I'm I've thought would come would be some people would be getting burnt out on so many you know, shiny releases with serial numbers or colors and things like that. Well, that's a good, I want to talk, I want to come back to the national and you get talk about your experience there. But before we do that, I think that what, that what you were just talking about is a good segue into kind of want to get your thoughts about fanatics coming into the space. And obviously take, you know, they've, they've acquired tops. They're taking over the licenses and for all the major sports with the exception of maybe hockey and, uh, and, and, and they've made some changes you know, in their distribution channels uh, recently that just came out, I think with GTS, I don't know how much any of that you get involved with or might impact you at all, but curious just to get your thoughts on it. Um, I think for someone like us, that's been selling, you know, quite a bit of product over the last six years, it's not going to be um, anything uh, really uh, bad for us. You know, I've, I've sat down, they've, they've talked to me and um, I think, you know, places like GTS are going to have trouble with, you know, they're not going to have the products anymore. But I think what Fanatics and Tops want to do is they want to partner with breakers that are, are push, moving the needle and they want to partner with clean quality card shops where people yeah. can come in and buy them. And I think we fit both those. I, we can do it either way. We've done it either way. But I've, I feel like, yeah, I may not get as much as I did or um, the profit. The, the problem, what's going to happen is, is there were larger profits for the card shop owner at, at last year and the year before. Just that's just the facts. And so everybody's trying to get into the industry, right? Like, every, I mean, it's just a it's a gold rush. Well, 
that's gone. That's over with now. You know, now I'm buying boxes of soccer and selling them for less than I paid for them. You know, it's, I can already tell, you know, it's really, I'm not saying there's not a couple products that don't do really well. They do, but that will be corrected too. Yeah. So in a couple of years, it's going to be back to, you know, normal business. And it's going to be ones that really have a passion for this that will be able to kind of hang in there. So, you know, I worry about that because I think people, you know, they forget five years ago or, you know, back in 2010, when Strasburg got hurt, dealers were going belly up because they had ordered so much 2010 stuff because of Strasburg. And it, it, it just seemed like a home run, like you couldn't lose. And it's the same thing with these boxes of, let's say, Prism. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm already paying three times what I was paying for Prism two years ago. It's going to continue to go up until it's a level that I can't make any, you know, I, I fear that the cost of it will be, let's say, 600 and the value of it's 550 when that happens, you're going to see dead carcasses in this industry all over, you know, the showroom floors from these guys because they're having trouble making money when there is good margin. So, yeah. you know, that's my concern. I think that from a pencil pusher's point of view at Fanatics, they are going to think, well, we don't need distributors and we don't need breakers and we, we can go straight to consumer. And, and, Tops and Panini aren't what drove this. It was card shop owners and mainly breakers, yeah. social media guys, all of it wasn't one person or five people, but there were hundreds of us that put tremendous amount of effort and energy into this thing, not really even knowing what we were doing, but we've moved the needle so far now with social media that there's this big monster that we've created. And I, I think that if they're not careful, they may, think that they can do it without some of those guys. And I would, I mean, it, it, it's not any skin off my back. If I never sell a baseball card again, I'm going to be okay. I don't worry about things I can't control, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If, if Fanatics calls me tomorrow and says, hey, Nathan, we're never selling you another Topps baseball card again. I promise you that I will still succeed in the baseball card space somehow, some way. Yeah. So I don't worry about that, but I do worry that, somebody up high is thinking, well, I can cut out all this profit. And it, I don't think it's going to run that way. If there's nobody on Facebook, nobody on YouTube, busting the boxes, bringing in new customers. It, it, it's a community. The reason people hang out in our room, you know, we go live and there's three, four, 500 people is because it's a community where they can get away from reality. You know, people, my friends will say, why does somebody want you to open their box of cards? And to me, I used to think, yeah, I want to open my own box of cards. But now I think, why would you want to open it by yourself when you can have 500 of your friends watching at the same time? Yeah. And so it's something that from even me, my mind has shifted where before I used to be like, yeah, I want to open on my own. Well, now I don't even feel that way. So I think that we're in a different type of culture in this industry where people want to see Th you know, great things opened, big things opened and, and fanatics, you know, it takes a certain personality to do that. You can't, a, a fanatics executive just can't hop online and open up a $25,000 box of treasures and make it entertaining. Uh, so that's what I hope. I hope that they don't, you know, again, I'm just being maybe a little scared, but I'm hoping they don't think that way and cut all those guys out that really have pushed the ball way farther than it should have ever been pushed to begin with.
No, I agree. And I think, I think there's a lot of stuff, good stuff that you just said there. And I agree with your concern about, and the, and the, the parallels to what we're seeing today with what we saw in the eighties and nineties. I, that was my era as well, grew up in the eighties and, and then in that early to mid nineties timeframe when we saw the overproduction and kind of what that did. And so, yeah, they've got to be, and I know that Josh Luber's talked about, you know, they're aware of that and being mindful of it, but yeah, they're going to have, but at the same time, we've seen it, like you said, we've already seen it happen. I mean, the, the, the amount of production, especially from Panini, but, but tops to some degree as well, uh, has really just gone grown exponentially. And that, that just, that can't continue at some point it's going to have to balance itself out or you're going to have to come up with a different strategy so that you can, cause I know they want to grow the space. And, and so you're going to have to have cards in order to attract more customers, which maybe means more production, but there's, there's gotta be some, you know, so, so, some thoughtfulness to how they go about that. So like you said, they don't ultimately just completely oversaturate the market and have people become disillusioned and then ultimately walk away. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's shift gears enough on that for now. Let, let's go back and talk about the national. You were at the national this year. And I know there's been, you know, a lot of people talk about their experience in Atlantic city and, and the location, all that, but the show itself, you were a dealer, you set up, what was it like? Uh, what were your, what was your experience there? Oh, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot better than even I thought it would be. You know, we're pretty low on the totem pole at the, at the national. So, you know, we're getting, the the bear in you know the last of the tables so i mean we're not in a great spot but with social media and things like that you're able to get your customers to find you and it was just way better than i even thought it would be um it shifted some but we were having you know there were large cards being bought there were medium-sized cards being bought there were you know i tried to keep it a hundred dollars and over in the showcases just you know you only have so much space and that was what I took with me. I didn't take any hobby boxes or, 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 you know, it's just, it's very time consuming. You can have some shrinkage in that situation with that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like, Hey, we'll sell that online and let's bring singles to the national. Um, That's what I'm passionate about. I'm much more passionate about buying and selling singles than I am selling hobby boxes. I do like opening hobby boxes for customers or myself. But um, so my experience was singles, you know, people were buying and it was um, it was amazing to see how many people were there in Atlantic City and and Chicago will probably be a spectacle compared to Atlantic City next year just because it's in such a better location for the average collector to get there. Yeah, exactly. So did you see any particular trends one way or the other? Was there a particular sport or a particular era of cards, you know, whether vintage or modern or football over baseball or kind of what, what, or was it just across the board you were seeing strong demand? Oh, I mean, I mean, what I saw was the the majority of people that came to me, they had that shiny new stuff. Um, I would say the year before in Chicago, I probably bought four or five times the amount of cards that I bought this year because there was just so many, you know, it didn't matter what you bought two years ago, you could buy shiny stuff and it would go, you know, it would be worth more the next week. But I noticed that 
I noticed people didn't like being told no for whatever, you know, like, like you were offending them if you didn't want to buy it. And I thought, man, they have no idea what I've been through all these years. You know, a dealer telling you no thanks is, is, Hey, he's taking his time and looking and, and saying yeah. no, thank you. But I did notice that that was a trend that I noticed. Um, a lot of, I guess I'd call them know-it-alls, you know, trying to tell you what you should be asking for your card, not really putting themselves in your shoes. You know, the lowest eBay comp isn't, isn't the comp. And so I, I noticed a lot of that too, new faces. I used to know so many people at the national and it's just a sea of people. I don't know, um, really sharp kids. I'll tell you that um, I was impressed with how many, you know, intelligent kids that are going places in this industry with or without sports cards. I was impressed by that. Uh, some people come to your table. They're, uh, they understand that, hey, you have to make 20, 25 percent. And it's a very easy transaction. I love those customers. They're the best. You know, hey, I'm not trying to uh, hit a grand slam here, but I need, you know, uh, it's expensive to get to those shows. You know, it's expensive to put four or five employees up and all that. So there has to be some meat on the bone. Um, I would say what surprised me the most was how many sales were going on and how many of the prism and select cards were being brought up trying to convince me to buy it. Even when I said no, I was just really surprised that uh, how much of that stuff was coming up. Yeah, that's interesting. And I agree, Brandon and I, we've talked about that before where I think sometimes people just get, they take too much offense over, look, I mean, if someone doesn't want to, you know, no one's, you can't force anyone to buy a card or sell a card. And, and so if, if, uh, and people are, can try to price their cards, whatever they want. And if they got them priced too high, then, and they don't sell, well, that's, that's their choice. And if, you know, and, and maybe vice versa, if they, if they got, you know, price too low, well, you don't have to sell them at that price if you don't want to. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, I think they gotta, people gotta remember that this isn't like walking into like a Walgreens or like a Walmart or something. Like, yeah. you don't like have to sell anything. Like, this is just like two people trying to kind of bargain with each other. Like, it's not like a store, you know? And, and there shouldn't be any offense. If you can't come to agreement, then, hey, all right, move on and try the next person. And that's, that is what it is. And I also like what you said about leaving meat on the bone, because I agree with that. I, we've talked about it. Both, it there's got to be some meat on the bone for both sides, right? I mean, it, it's got to be a win for both sides or it's not a good deal. Well, and let me ask you, because there was, and this is a little bit of old news, but I am just kind of curious because everyone talked about the lack of service. We experienced that ourselves when we were trying to buy stuff. Did that, it doesn't sound like maybe that impacted you sound like sales were pretty robust for you and that the uh, internet service there didn't necessarily uh, stifle sales. I would say the internet was a huge problem there for us, but one I, the, the type of stuff that I was really looking for, I kind of had an idea, Hey, this is what it brings. I mean, we bought a six figure card there and the internet wouldn't pull up. And I just, I, I knew in my gut that that was right. So I just did it. And, uh, you know, I was able to check it later, but with that said, I think the lack of internet is something that's really inexcusable for the, for all of us, because it's such a important factor for everybody. There's no way that we can all know this isn't like 1985 and there's three different types of cards and right. okay. A Clemens rookie brings three bucks. It's, you know, there's millions of combinations. I mean, there's no way a human can know all that. And 
it, I would say it might have hurt me buying some stuff because I, if I couldn't look it up and I didn't know it, I wasn't unless I knew um, what I, you know, what I thought I knew. And again, I could have made a mistake and, yeah. and uh, it would have killed me. Um, but that's, you know, th there's always obstacles. There's always like you can kind of look at anything and say, oh, the Internet was down. You know, it's bad luck. Well, it is. But at the end of the day, if you have a, a goal, if you have somewhere you're wanting to get, there's going to be some obstacles in our way. And we have to find a way around them, over them, through them. And, you know, you just have to take a deep breath and, and, and try to figure your way around it. But it was I felt bad for everybody because it's such an important piece for all of us is our iPhone and it just wouldn't work. I mean, we could not get it to work very much. So, yeah. um, I felt bad for some people and, and it didn't help. It didn't hurt me. We had all of ours price. That's something that I, I think you should do if you're at the national, you know, I'll go to tables and there's only one guy at the table and he's gone, you know, his buddy's sitting next to him and the cards aren't even priced. I mean, to me, I think I understand prices change, so it's hard to price everything. But I think that when you're going to the national, you should have your cards priced within reason. So someone doesn't have to bother you. Or if a price does hit them, they know that come back and buy that item. So I think that would go a long way. And ours were priced. So I'm not sitting around fumbling around. If I hadn't had my stuff priced, I'd have been in real trouble. Yeah. No, that's I, I agree with that. I And I, I'm the same way when I'm when I'm coming up to a dealer and looking at their stuff. I like it better when it's priced. I, I like to see the prices on it. And I real look, it doesn't make me if I see something that I think is priced too high, it doesn't make me walk away. It, I, I realize that there's negotiating in, in everything. And but I would rather see it priced because, like you said, oftentimes there can be a crowd around the table busy. It's a hard time getting a hold, you know, getting somebody's attention to get an idea. And it's packed and, and there's there's a lot to do and a lot of tables to see. And you don't want to have to sort of stand around for 20 minutes trying to get someone's attention and figure out what the price is on something. So I I agree with you from a buyer's perspective on that as well. It makes it much easier when you come up to a table and things are priced. And, you know, one of the things we experienced in that, not just the the sales or uh, the pricing part of it, but the lack of service for us, a couple of the cards that I bought, uh, I couldn't pay, <laughs> you know, because I could, I was, you know, whether it was PayPal or Venmo, I mean, I had some cash and I was doing some trades, but ultimately I had to do some Venmo and PayPal, but I had to go outside of the, of the, you know, convention center to, in order to get service to yeah. pay and then come back in. And yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, I mean, that was pretty wild because most people now, you know, they're willing to take Zelle or Venmo or PayPal or, or whatever. Um, one thing I'll caution all people on is I was even scammed out of PayPal goods or P PayPal gift one time mm. at a show. And is if someone pays with their credit card and then pays the fee and then sends you the gift, they can charge back on their credit card. So be careful. Mm. I mean, I'm just, I, 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 I'll scream, you know, at the mountaintops to anybody be real careful with PayPal gift. If they use their credit card, they can charge it back. They, they'll do it through American Express. I lost, you know, and I know the guy. I mean, it was a real sore spot and I finally got my money. But, you know, it's one of those things that people are just you got to watch people when it comes to those type of things. So be real careful. It's easy. Uh, the, you know, I think it's easy when you're dealing with people, you know, it's no big deal, you know, yeah. but 
whenever the service is out, like you said, it's tough when you're trying to pay someone for your card. Yeah. Um, well, I, that's good advice. And that, and I, that's, I hate to hear that that happened to you at the same time. That's exactly why we're doing the series here that we're doing. Cause we're trying to highlight the good people in the hobby that, uh, we would recommend or, or that we've done business with. And, and we would certainly encourage our, our listeners to check out and, and potentially do business with as well, because unfortunately, anytime in this hobby and anytime, I think when, you know, you see money start to get involved and things start to go up the way we've seen over the last few years, you're going to, you're going to bring bad actors in, into the space and, and they're going to, you know, try to find every creative way they can. And so, it's important to have those relationships and know who you're doing business with and try to stick doing business with those people um, so that you don't get scammed or taken advantage of in any way. And that's exactly, like I said, why we, why we wanted to do this particular series. So let me ask you on a personal level, what kinds of things, I don't know, did you, you, you mentioned you grew up, it sounds like here in Tennessee. So what do you like to collect personally, particular teams or players that you'd like to go after? Uh, there's two players I collect, Joey Votto and Pat Tillman. Those are the two players I collect. Um, those are more about things that happened as, as an adult that had me follow those two guys. Um, but I mainly, I collect all the 80s unopened, hot, you know, wax boxes. I collect uh, the 91 Donruss Elite set. I, you know, I collect a lot, you know, the 80, let's say 83, oh, through 90, 91, I collect all that stuff and then inserts and, you know, things that were too expensive as a kid, I couldn't quite afford, um, you know, the upper deck hero autos of Nolan Ryan or Ted Williams and, yeah. you know, just that stuff. Um, that's the stuff that really I enjoy. You know, I also collect Kobe Bryant to a degree, but when the prices got so crazy about a year, let's see, about a year and a half ago now, you know, at that time I had 240 Kobe autos wow. and I just, I had, I mean, it was life changing stuff. So, you know, I let probably half of it go, but I, you know, now I'm even starting to buy some of that back now at a big discount of what I sold it for. So, you know, I'm glad I'm able to get some of my cards back that I, I wanted to be, I didn't want to sell to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Well, Brandon, you'll be happy to hear. Brandon has been a Joey Votto fan since he played baseball as a kid. And I don't really know, Brandon, we've talked before, I guess. What what was it that, that drew you to Votto again? I literally have no idea, dude. I know. I was going to say. <laughs> I, I don't tried to think I was of, like eight. I don't know. Yeah. Look, I'm I trying to think of how that came up. closely now, so it's, you know. I mean, he but, was obviously a good player, and and yep. we went to a Cincinnati Reds game in in at the Red Stadium there, which was a ton of fun. But uh, yeah, Votto's a Votto's a fun one, a fun one to follow and and collect. Yeah, for me, it was uh, in 2010. I was probably having the worst year of my life. Str I was struggling, and uh, I ended up. I would come. I was. Go I had went back to MTSU to get my degree. I'd been in real estate, real estate had tanked. Um, so I had to do something and I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to be a sales rep. So I need to go back to school. And that was the first, literally 2010 fall. That was my first semester back. And I would come home from school in a pretty dang dark spot. And I would, I watched, I don't know how many of those games I watched on uh, Fox Sports Ohio, but I watched a lot of them and I'll always be very appreciative 
of him just, you know, hey, he didn't, I wouldn't say he saved my life or anything like that, but he definitely um, was a factor in keeping me out of dark space for several hours a day, every day. So um, I'm just a huge Joey Votto collector solely because of that. Never met him, but I mean, you know, it's one of those, he's very important to me. It's pretty weird, but it is what it is. No, that's cool. That's an awesome story. I hate to hear that you're in the bad spot, but that's an awesome example of the power of sports and the power of sports cards and what they can do for, for somebody. Um, I, you know, it's, it definitely is, is great to hear that that helped you get through that. And he's, I've never met him either, but he seems like he's a great guy and, yep. and definitely the, uh, you know, uh, the kind of guy that, um, you wouldn't be uh, have a problem with having your kids look up to. Right. All right. Well, let's, let's move on and uh, let's see. There's a couple other things. I know we said we would try to keep this, keep you here for maybe, you know, 30, 45 minutes, give or take. And we're kind of coming up on up against that now. So don't want to take too much more of your time, let you get back uh, to your evening, but maybe a couple more just quick questions. I guess one that I would ask is just maybe tell any of your, you know, you've been doing this a long time now any particular, you know, stories or, or favorite experiences that you'd like to share? Um, I mean, I have, I have plenty of stories, you know, to tell folks and, you know, anytime they want to hear one, you know, ask me at the store, I'll be glad to tell them um, just off the top of my head. I mean, I'll tell someone who's, who's thinking about starting a card shop. You know, there was a day, you know, early on when I opened that we sold a dollar 10. And, you know, later on, there were days where we sold over a half a million in a day. Hmm. So, you know, don't get discouraged. It's not all built in a day. You're going to have some ups and downs. Don't um, don't don't worry if your heart is pure for it and you're passionate about it. It should work, work itself out. As far as stories go, I mean, there's there's so, I have so many, but mainly Hey, I can, I was selling cards when I was 12 years old at the flea market there in Huntingdon. And, you know, from the moment I did it, you know, became a little a seller at the flea market. It's, it's just been in my blood and I find it interesting. I'm about to go back this month for my hometown's 200th it's bicentennial and I get to speak and it's right outside the civic it's at the civic center, right where the flea market was. And I think, man, mm -hmm. How full circle is that, that I was right outside that building at 12 years old selling cards and 33 years later, I'm, I'm going to be there speaking to, you know, uh, the city about, I mean, a, a baseball card shop owner, they wanted him to do that. It just seems <laughs> odd, but it's pretty cool that they look up to you or think, you know, they, they look at you and think, Hey, you know, it's the American dream. And, and that's what it is. You know, when I got into this, I never thought it was going to be for a lot of money. You know, if I could have made 50,000 a year for the rest of my life, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Um, it's just at that time, that wasn't reasonable. Most people weren't doing that. They, you know, there were very few card shops left in 2016. So, I mean, that's really, I don't know if it's a story, but it's kind of has come full circle for me. And I, this, this career, has given me such satisfaction and such happiness. I want others to experience that. Whatever their whatever their passion is, you know, if if you have one, 
you know, you need to chase that with, with everything you have, it tends to work out, but you're not, you know, if you see a card shop owner making a lot of money, you say, Oh, I want to go do that. Well, you're never going to be a better version of that guy. You know, like that's just a money grab or, you know, Hey, that basketball player makes a lot of money. I want to go play basketball. It doesn't work that way. Um, I would, I would uh, ask people to just, spend a little quiet time with their self and figure out what do I want to do? And whatever that is, whatever the answer to that is, is figure out a way to monetize it where you can make a living because that's your best shot at becoming wealthy or, 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 or getting more money than you thought, because it's really not work. A lot of it isn't work when you're passionate about something, you can go far more uh, down the road than let's say when I was in real estate, I liked real estate, but I didn't love it. It was a job. As soon as I could get out of it, I wanted out of it. So, you know, other than just a story, it's, Hey, you know, spend a little quiet quality time, just figuring out what you want to do and then chase that thing one way or the other, you're going to have some failures. Good. That's what, that's what, you know, builds you into what you are down the road. The failures, do you want to, do you want to experience when they're going on? No, they're terrible. They're humiliating. Um, you feel like you're letting people down, but later on you, you, it's almost like you're a different person because of these failures or these shortcomings and you're prepared down the road. It, it's not a punishment. You know, I feel like, you know, for me, it's God, uh, people have higher power, but whatever it is, all these I guess what I'm trying to say, all these um, obstacles, they're not bad. They yeah. may feel bad, but they're actually good. They're going to, they're going to make you a better version of yourself. And at the end of the day, that's, that's really the best way to put it. I want to try to make other people the best version of themselves, whatever that is, you know, that's what I want to help people do. That's awesome. No, that there's a lot of sage advice and, uh, and sage life's wisdom and then all the things that you just said there. And, you know, like I said, if you do pursue your, your passion and what you love and enjoy, you never work a, a day in your life. And then I, I really like what you said about failure. I think that's something that gets lost in today's day and age where we kind of want to protect everybody from, you know, experiencing, you know, something bad, but the reality of it is those are the things that help to shape us and to help to make us better. And they're also the things that make the, the good, that much sweeter as well. So uh, I, I couldn't agree with more with, uh, with all those things that you just said. So look, I, I have a, I have a couple of other questions, but I feel like I, I now after, after that, I feel like they're, they're not really, they don't fit in. So I'm, I'm going to save them. We can maybe okay. uh, ask them another time. Uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and spending some time with us. It's, it's been fun chatting with you. And so, and let me, the best way our listeners can, can reach out, find you, do business with you, really just to go to your website, right? Which we said, again, it's it's uh, only at grandslam.com. And then if you go there, there's links to everything else. So you've got your Facebook page where you do stuff there. You've got, uh, I don't know, do you have you have an eBay uh, as well or do you do uh, pretty much do it on the site directly? We don't sell on eBay. I buy on eBay. We have an eBay account, but we do it on Instagram, Facebook, Yep. Um, a little bit on Twitter. But you can, I mean, it's Grand Slam Collectibles on Instagram, on Twitter. I think yep. that's the same. But, um, you know, main thing is the website or our Facebook page. You, you yep. can find us there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so you would encourage our listeners to go check that out. And uh, 
and Nate, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. We look forward to seeing you at the at the the, the Nash or the uh, the Nashville show coming up. <laughs> We're going to be there, so hopefully we'll be able to pick up a couple cards from your from your uh, tables there. Hey, one question I do have for you is how did you? I'm assuming how how did he get into cards? Did he just do it because you were doing it, or or as far as your son goes? I'll Brandon, I'll let you speak to it, but some of it is. I think we, a buddy of mine, I, of course, I've always loved cards and collecting and a buddy of mine, we would coach our kids teams and Brandon, when he would play sports as a kid, we, what we would do is after practices or games, we would hand out packs of cards for, you know, had a good practice, had a good game or whatever we'd hand out packs. And, and then Brandon, you also, you kind of got into Pokemon as a kid as well. So you, yeah, tell them how, how, how do you remember how you I mean, kind of got into it all? No, I mean, I just think it was you just handing out those packs of cards. I mean, like, I don't know. I did all that as like a kid and then I didn't really do anything for a while. And then you got back into it and yeah. you got really excited about it during quarantine and started yeah. unearthing all of the like stuff from my childhood, which I think is, you know, true of a lot of, of people who have gotten into this recently. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's it really. I mean. <laughs> It's like I play, I played Pokemon as a kid, so I had the cards too. So I was big on that. Yeah. Isn't, um, it, isn't it funny, man? We, as kids, all we want to do is be adults. And then when we're adults, all we want to do is feel like we did as a kid. And that's it's, right. it's always funny. You know, I look back on that. I think, man, to get to 18 years old, what took so long it seemed like it took 50 years, but to get from 18 to 45 seems like just a snap of a finger. Yep. And I, 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 that's pretty cool. It's really awesome to share something like that with your dad too. And it's something that there's just so many lessons, just like on the, on you, you learn so much about a human being on a baseball diamond or on a football field, or even in collecting cards, integrity. I mean, there's so many things that you can pick up about people in this arena. And um, <clears throat> that's one of the things I like about it. And I like, I was curious, you know, did he, you know, why you got into it, Brandon? And I uh, appreciate you answering it for me, man. I was just curious. Yeah, of course. Because Brandon, that was, let's see, trying to think the years, that was like probably 2008 to like 2012 or 14, maybe. And so we kind of joke around that, you know, it was those years of, he played baseball and basketball. And, and so it was the Bryce Harper rookie years, uh, Goldschmidt, Mike Trout uh, yeah. on the basketball side, you know, and Votto, I guess. And yep. then on the basketball side, it was, you know, Curry and LeBron, you know. And so we, we kind of joke about there's probably all these kids walking around with all these expensive cards <laughs> that have no idea, you know. They probably do. It's, it is. I mean, it's amazing the the Trout updates, those you can find sometimes where people bring in, you know, totes of junk. And they have a, a, you know, a blaster box of that stuff. And, yeah. and that, that's one of the things it used to be when I first opened, everything was junk. You know, it was like people would bring stuff in and it just, you couldn't do anything with it. Well, now it is more like a treasure hunt. And sometimes you can find, you've got to dig because there are those exceptions. So yep. anyway, I won't keep you guys anymore, man. I really appreciate you having me on here, man. I appreciate you thinking about me. No, absolutely. We thank you for coming on and, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll reach back out. Hopefully we'll have you back on at some point in the future. Yeah. Any, anything I can do to help, just let me know any questions y'all have. I'll be glad to help, man. That's awesome. Thanks. All right. Take All care. Right, man, you, have man. A great night. Take it easy, buddy. You too. Yeah, you too. 
All right. Well, that is the show for today. It was a lot of fun talking with Nate. Hopefully our audience could hear what a great guy he is, and we really appreciate him taking the time to come on our show. Thanks to all of you as well, our listeners. We appreciate you spending some of your time with us and hope you enjoyed the show today. This was, as we mentioned, part three in our four-part local card shop owner series. So we've got one more to go that we're hoping to be able to bring to you next week, assuming that we can get schedules lined up. So stay tuned for that. Plus, like we said, we're going to have a special fantasy football edition that we're going to drop Saturday. So stay tuned for that as well. Brandon, go ahead and take us out. All right. Uh, yeah. Thank you to all of our listeners. I um, hope everybody enjoyed it today. I also want to thank Nate again for taking time to come on and chat with us. Uh, really enjoyed that. So please reach out to us. Give us your feedback. We do want to hear from you. We use that to make the show better, bring you more of what you enjoy the most, find the most valuable, so let us know your thoughts. Also, check us out on social media. Um, Subscribe and follow our pages. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website, www.the615collector.com. Uh, and subscribe to our email list. Yep, and please tell your family and friends about us as well. Like we always like to say, encourage them to listen to the show. Follow us on your podcast outlet. And there you go. Thanks again to Grand Slam Collectibles. Check them out online at www.onlyatgrandslam.com or on their social media channels. You can search for Grand Slam Collectibles on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just remember, they are the ones in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. There is another Grand Slam Collectibles that's in New York. And that is it. Show number 48 is in the books. Thanks again, everyone. We will see you all next Friday. Well, Saturday for a special edition. This Saturday for a special edition. But then next Friday for our regular edition. Same time, same place here on the 615 Collector.